Today we, uh, we pick up our series in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, we'll be in Acts chapter 10. And as we're opening to Acts chapter 10, and the passage will be on the screen as well, before we begin, I'd like to ask us all a question. You don't have to share, but I want you to think through it. It's a big question that I've been asking myself this week. The question is this, is there any area in your life that you've been unable to change? Is there any area in your life that you've been unable to change? Is there a place or is there a space in your life that you haven't seen major breakthrough? Is there an area in your life that you have been unable to change? Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. Each chapter in Acts, and we're in chapter 10, we see the message of Jesus going out. It is first established, and then it expands, and it extends out. We see that the early church is established in Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. Then the church is expanded to Judea and Samaria, verses 8 through 12. And then the church extends to the ends of the earth, chapters 13 and following. And in Acts chapter 2, as we began studying through Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit came down and he initiated this movement and empowered God's people to get the message of Jesus out to the world. And so the book of Acts, it has beautiful beginnings, amazing signs and wonders, and the Holy Spirit moves in radical way to be with believers, to live within them. And yet despite, despite all these clear signs and wonders, we see two things in the book of Acts. First, the early church was almost exclusively Jewish. The first years of the church, only Jews believed in Jesus as their Savior. And so the first thing we see is the early church is almost exclusively Jewish. And the second thing is that some of the early church members, the Jewish believers, including the apostles, they were slow to recognize Gentiles, those of non-Jewish descent, as equals. I'm so glad that God is slow and he's patient with his people back then and today. God would not allow his followers to continue to live unchanged. The gospel changes the person before you know Jesus. The gospel changes a person after you know Jesus. It saves you from the penalty of your sin, from the power, that, that pull towards, towards sinful lifestyle, and one day the very presence of sin. And today we will see two men changed by the gospel, including one of the early church leaders, Peter. And it took some time for Peter to fully recognize the extent of the gospel and its reach. And Peter, like myself, and maybe as you've been wondering that question, is there any places and spaces in your life that you need God to come in and change? Peter still had places and spaces in his life where he saw others out as outsiders. So maybe think through the question, who have you been keeping from yourself in order to teach them about the good news of Jesus? Who do we keep at arm's distance? I've been thinking through that this past week. I have some family members that I'm keeping at arm's distance. I have some friends that we've, we've run up and we've changed and I've been keeping them at arm's distance. That I have some people, whether it's in the church or just in your neighborhood, that I've been keeping a little bit at arm's distance. So the question is, where 
are areas that the gospel has not broken out in our life. And as today's passage, we'll see that the good news is reaching out. It's reaching out to those who look like they've been counted out. And the big idea that we're going we're gonna to unpack and take away is, is everybody who believes in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sin, and is equally loved by God the Father. Acts 10, 10 speaks about the gospel through salvation and, and through Christ. is not just moving out into different areas, but it's also moving and breaking down ethnic barriers. It's moving out different places, and it's affecting different people. So today in chapter 10, we're going to narrow in on Cornelius and Peter and see both of their conversions and their change. First thing that we're going to look at as we jump into Acts chapter 10 is God prepares two men. First, he prepares Cornelius, a centurion. He's a Gentile, 100%. And he's a good man, but he's without the gospel. And yet he's going to be changed by the gospel. The second man that we'll look at is the Apostle Peter. He's 100% Jewish. And he's a man with the gospel, and yet he's still going to be changed by the gospel. So we're going to take a look at two men, and then we're going to see how these two men finally meet one another. They believe in the gospel, and they're forever changed. We'll see how Peter is changed from the gospel, moving from legalism to grace, and Cornelius is saved by the gospel, moving from death to life in Christ. And so let me pray, and we'll jump into studying uh, these, these two men this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we, as we read Acts 10, it's a lot of scripture. It's a lot of reading. And Lord, the story, in a sense, speaks for itself. So Lord, we just, we just read this, we give it some context, and we just allow you to work. Lord, at the end, it's not just two points to take away. Lord, you are moving beyond my understanding. You're moving beyond anything in, into, this, into this room, into the space, those watching, those here. And Lord, you will speak to us. Are we open and receptive to that? We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God prepares two men. So God prepares Cornelius, and it begins with a vision. Follow with me in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the, to the people, and prayed continually to God. So who is Cornelius? First thing that we see is his profession. We see that he lived in Caesarea, and he was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Caesarea was a coastal port city, around 30 miles from this place called Joppa, and that was where Peter was currently staying with his guy, Simon the Tanner. And so Cornelius, a Roman centurion soldier, was stationed in Caesarea and oversaw about 100 men from the Roman army. So Cornelius was a soldier. He was a military man. He was not Jewish. He was a Gentile, but he wasn't a follower of Jesus yet because he hasn't heard the gospel. Cornelius, this military commander, represented everything the Jewish person would despise. He represented everything the Jewish person would despise. He was not a Jew, and he worked for the Romans. So now we get to see his profession, but let's take a look at Cornelius, him as a person. Verse 2, Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So we see in the text that Cornelius, he feared God in the sense that he abandoned his pagan ways and he worshiped the one true God of Israel. It's Cornelius, we see, feared God. He, he gave generously to others. He prayed later on. We'll see that he was obedient. He was righteous. 
And in summary, Cornelius was a good soldier. He was a good leader. And he was a, a good man. He was morally upright. But that was not enough. He needed to be converted. He needed to be saved. I remember uh, 10, almost 10 years back, uh, my wife and I, we got our first apartment and when we got married. And uh, we moved into this cozy little upstairs one bedroom. And soon after we moved in, we met this young Mormon couple next door. They were really nice people, and they were also, also newly married. And our apartments were really close together. We had matching stairwells that came up, and our, and our apartments, they mirrored one another. And so, like, in the morning when you went to the kitchen to grab a cup of coffee, like, you would also see their kitchen as well, about eight feet away. And so when we first moved there, I, I was talking to Amanda. I was like, what are we going to do? Are we going to, like, if we keep the blinds open, we're both going to be staring at each other, like, all the time. And so we were the neighbors that had to close the blinds. And later on, um, this couple, they had a kid, and we were all both busy, both of us being newlyweds and, um, in, in our marriages, and, and we didn't get to know each other, but they, but they ended up moving out. And I remember having one last conversation with the husband. And, and he was, a, I mean, he was a really, really nice guy. He would be the kind of guy, if he was, he was moving out, he would help someone else move in at the same time. He was that type of nice and I remember thinking about myself and how I, I'm, I'm new to being married. Am I, am, I, am, I, am I a good man compared to this guy? And if we had to compare ourselves, and I don't know too much about him, but looking from the outside, looking in, if we had to compare our, our lives, I don't know the answer. I think that he would probably be better than me. He'd be a nicer guy than me. He'd be more moral than me. I mean, he, he went to work. He provided for his family. He was a caring husband. He loved his growing family. He cared for his neighbors a little bit better than I did. And I remember just thinking, if we had to take who's the more moral man test, he probably would have won. But that's not the standard. A relationship with God is not whether you are better than the next person. Being a part of God's family is not according to how much, as we see in the text with Cornelius, it's not based upon how much you fear God. It's not based upon how much you give. It's not based upon how much you pray, even though these are all good things and they're commanded by God. Being in a relationship with God is all about faith through Jesus. He's the only one who can save. We could try to fix ourselves, but we just end up completely lost. And so while Cornelius was a good soldier, a man of influence and authority, he was a good moral man, he needed to be converted. He needed to be born again, born from above. He needed to surrender his life to the only one worthy of being called good, Jesus Christ. And so Cornelius was near, but he was still far off. And yet God did, not, did, uh, did recognize that he was still working in his life, that nothing was out of God's power and control. And so God moved powerfully in Cornelius' life and many others in his understanding of the gospel. And it all begins with a vision. Follow with me in verse 3. And about the ninth hour, so that's three in the afternoon, of the day, he, Cornelius, saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he said to him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He is lodging with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so what's happening? Cornelius, Cornelius has a vision, a clear vision from an angel of the Lord, and he's terrified. 
angel tells Cornelius to take three of his men and to travel to Joppa some 30 miles away to meet up with Peter, to send for Peter. And so God is setting up this divine appointment between these two men. And so what does Cornelius do next? He faithfully follows the instructions of God. He shares his vision with these three men, his three servants, and then he sends them to go find Peter. First thing we see is God is clearly working in the story of Cornelius, the man without the gospel. But at the same time, God is also working in the story of Peter, a man with the gospel. God prepares Cornelius, and now God is preparing Peter. Like Cornelius, Peter also has a vision. Follow with me in verse 9. The next day as they, the men who were sent by Cornelius, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, which is noon, to pray. And he became hungry. Anybody get hungry when they start to pray? Is that just me? And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Interesting. And saw the heavens open and something like a sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were, kinds of, were, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and the birds of the air. And then came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have not eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. And this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This is an interesting vision. So before these three men sent by Cornelius get to Peter and Joppa, Peter has a vision. He went up to the top of his house to pray. He became hungry, and he has this bizarre, strange vision. And the vision God sends Peter is of a great sheet coming down from the sky containing different animals that were unclean. And so there's a mixture of clean and unclean animals. Leviticus in the Old Testament describes the animals that were considered unclean for the Jewish person. This was not a part of their life and lifestyle. The law was set up to show the Jewish person not to enter into greater sin. The law was set up to show the Jewish person about their own sins. And the law was set up in order to tell the Jewish person their need of redemption. So basically the law was, was set forth to, so that the Israelites would not, the Jewish people would not get lost. But at the same time, it wasn't going to get them where they ultimately needed to go. They needed God to save them. And so what's going on in the vision? Basically, God brought a vision to Peter, a devout Jewish man, and he brought a selection of animals that his, his people were, were, were forbidden to eat. And then God says to Peter, eat. But what does Peter say? Three times he says no. By no means, Lord. And this isn't the first time that Peter has said no to God. He has a reputation of saying no. But in the same sense, this vision would have been deeply offensive to Peter. I mean, think about avoiding a certain food, specifically an animal product, your whole entire life, and then one day it's like, enjoy, kill, eat. He couldn't stomach this. His conscience couldn't stomach this. Peter honored these customary food laws his entire life, but God said three times, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. So what is this vision preparing Peter to do? This vision is not about food, even though I'm thankful that we can eat bacon. It's not about food. It's about God's family. In this vision, God was preparing Peter for the moment that he would stand before Gentiles who were considered impure, Gentiles, those who were not of Jewish descent. God is breaking down 
cultural and racial barriers that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it goes way back. This is not a new thing. Take a, take a study of, of Gentiles and, and, and Jews, Jews and uh, Gentiles, and it just goes back and back and back. This is not a new thing. This separation, this, this divide, this barrier has existed for a long time. So Peter, he doesn't get it. He just says, Lord, not me. The vision's not enough for Peter. He's, he's, he's confused. And so next, God's spirit speaks to Peter and sends visitors. So the first thing we see is a vision from God. The next thing we see is the voice of God. Follow with me in verse 17. And while Peter was inwardly perplexed as what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, at the same time, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them to you. God has sent them to Peter. So first, we we have the vision that God sends to Peter. Next, we have the voice of God speaking to Peter, telling him of Cornelius' servants that are there. God is actively moving in these events. And God prepares Cornelius and Peter for what's next. We see Peter, even though he was inwardly perplexed by the vision, he listened to the voice of God and he obeys. Does he have questions of what's going on? Sure. But is he listening to God? Absolutely. And now he meets with the visitors. God sends visitors to Peter's door. Verse 21, and Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. At this point, Peter's like, God's up to something. And Peter asks the men, what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be guests. Let's pause right there. This last part, he invited them in to be guests. We look at that and just say, what's the big deal? It's like, come on in. This is not normal behavior for a Jewish man. This is scandalous. No respectable Jewish man would let anybody enter his house, let alone um, would he let anybody enter his. He wouldn't go to someone's house. He He wouldn't let someone enter his house. So we can casually read over verse 23 and just say, oh, he just invited these guys into the house. What's, what's the big deal? Peter later on in the text says, you yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone of another nation. For the Jewish man, this interaction shouldn't take place, but he invites them in. No longer are they Gentiles, but now they are guests. These servants that Peter lets in, the ones who serve a military leader like Cornelius, are guests. Peter invites them in, gives them lodging. Where there should be hostility, we see hospitality. And the big idea is this. God is breaking through and breaking down Cornelius and Peter's understanding of what it means to follow him. It's not about the rules or it's not about your race. It's all about the gospel. The gospel is challenging Peter's religious ways and it's breaking down the remaining legalism in his life. So Peter invites them in as guests and they stay the night. And God has now prepared two men, Cornelius and Peter. And now the two men meet. I know it's a lot of text. Keep with me. Finally, Peter and Cornelius, they meet. Verse uh, 20, 23. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. 
And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Okay, so now we're back to the beginning. We're back to where we started. But Peter brings with him six brothers. So now we have seven devout Orthodox Jews. We're about to meet a house filled with eager Gentiles, ready to hear the good news. Verse 24, Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together all of his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I am too a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many other persons gathered. And he said to them, and Peter made this clear, he said, You yourself know how unlawful it is for a, Jewish to, for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you send for me. So through Peter's vision, through the, through the voice of the Holy Spirit and the prompting that these visitors were there, and the visitors show up, and now he comes back to Cornelius, we see that Peter changes. We see that he believes God's words. He believes in the, the power of the gospel. He is converted from legalism to grace in this area of his life, and he grows in his understanding of the gospel. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. We don't just end the chapter there. Like God still has a lot to show Peter, and Peter moves forward. This idea of common and unclean means to, to reject or despise another person. God prepared Peter to receive this message. No one is unclean to God. And then Peter preaches the gospel message, the simple gospel message, to these Gentiles, these now guests, soon-to-be family. Peter begins to get it, but he still wonders, and he asks this at the end of, chapter, end of verse 29. And he asked them, why did you send for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house about the ninth hour. And behold, a man stand before me in bright clothes and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging there in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we, all, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So God sets this up. Peter finally gets it and believes that the good news of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection, is for all people, is for the Gentiles. God wants to use Peter to shatter any remainder barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, let's stop here for a moment. Why did God set up this moment. He could have done it in so many different ways. God could have just spoke directly to, to uh, Cornelius, and yet he sends an angel. He could have delivered the message through the angel to Cornelius. He could have sent for Peter, and Peter could have just said, hey, I'm going to send some of my guys and cruise over there and preach the gospel. But Peter goes. God could have sent people to believers in Caesarea that were maybe like three minutes down the road as opposed to 30 miles away, but he doesn't. And one author writes this, and it kind of clicked for me this, this week. He said, God wants Peter to see firsthand Cornelius' salvation, because then and only then would Peter be fully prepared to accept Gentiles into the church. It's kind of like you have to be there to get it. So God wants Peter to see Cornelius come to faith in Christ. And unless these two men meet here in chapter 10, 
Peter would not be fully ready to accept the Gentiles into the church. And if Peter's not ready, let's say Paul's not ready for this and Peter's not ready for this and these major leaders in the church, if they're not ready, guess what? Those with them are not going to be ready as well. Peter and the Jewish believers still needed to understand and experience the full truth of the gospel. Salvation for anybody who believes. There's no difference between the Gentile and the Jew. They are now one together in God's family. And Peter didn't know it was exactly what was going to happen next. And this is a major shift in the book of Acts. So Peter begins by being changed. Now he delivers the gospel message to these Gentiles. Verse 34. So Peter opens up his mouth. And if this week, if you have some time to reread just 34 through the, through the remainder of this uh, chapter, I really encourage you to do so. This, there's so much insight and text here that, that is, is really beautiful. It reminds us of really the heart of God. So Peter opens up his mouth and he says this, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourself know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And you are all my witnesses that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and who drank with him, Jesus, after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets, they bear witness that everyone who believes in him and Jesus receives forgiveness of sin through his name. It's a good part of scripture. So there Peter is. He's led by the Holy Spirit to this Roman soldier's house. It's filled with people, non-Jewish people, and they're about to hear and respond to the gospel. And now the Holy Spirit shows up just as he did in Acts chapter 2. Not in a different way, in the same way. They had the same experience. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come to Peter were amazed. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptism for, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain there for some days. This is amazing. God gives the Gentiles. If you're not of Jewish descent, we are all Gentiles. And this time he gives the Gentiles their own Pentecost, and it's just like Acts chapter 2. It says, can anybody withhold water? For baptizing these people, they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. It's the same God, it's the same Jesus, it's the same Spirit, it's the same gospel, it's the same faith. And God confirms it by sending the Holy Spirit. There's no question in their minds now. And so as we get to the end of chapter 10, it's a lot of text, it's a lot of different visions and traveling. 
We've been going on this journey. Let's take a look at two important truths. The first one is this. True conversion and change comes from God. True conversion and change comes from God. So back to that first question. Is there anything that you, you haven't had any breakthrough with your life? Is there anything that you've been dealing with that you haven't had any breakthrough on? Maybe you've just been struggling with the same thing year after year. God can change you. He wants to change you. You can't do it on your own. You need his help. You need his power. True conversion and change comes from God. In Acts chapter 10, we see God drawing people to himself. He first draws Cornelius, a man without the gospel, moving him from death to life, and he experiences salvation. God prepares Peter, a man with the gospel, moves him from legalism to grace. He experiences sanctification. Where is God at work in your life? Where is he changing you? I want to remind us that it's not too late. You haven't, it's not too late. You haven't been in your sin or in your ways too long for the gospel not to be able to break through in your life. So maybe you're like Cornelius. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you've been thinking it's because of your own goodness that you're accepted by God. It's because you pray, it's because you give, it's because you're dedicated, but deep down inside you know you're missing something. You're still operating in a life of I must obey in order to be accepted by God. If so, I hope you surrender to the risen Savior that we celebrated last Sunday for Easter Sunday. Run to him. Jesus is the only one that can save you. And maybe you know Jesus, maybe, but maybe you need some, some breakthrough. There's some barriers in your life that have, that have built up. Maybe there's some things that have been distancing yourself from people or people, different people groups. If so, I hope that you allow God to change you through the gospel. And to recognize that even Peter, one of the biggest early church leaders, he still needed to be rocked by the gospel. He still had places and spaces in his life where he needed to be changed. So how might God change your heart and your mind today? And remember, this change comes from God. So first, true conversion and change comes from God. And the second, everybody who believes in Jesus receives salvation and the Holy Spirit. Everybody who believes in Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. In verse 43, it says, To all the prophets bear witness that everybody who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Verse 45, When Peter had come, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was also poured out even on the Gentiles. That's the gift that we have. The moment that we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. We don't have to say an extra prayer. We don't have to do extra steps. We come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and we receive the Holy Spirit. They are together. And the gospel is for everybody. It's so easy to, to show favoritism, right? Galatians 3, 26 through 28 reminds us, For in Christ we are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized in, into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is for everyone. There is no favoritism, meaning God doesn't show honor or value over one person, over one group, over one culture than another. When I was growing up, uh, my mom and dad um, was raised in, raised in the church. My dad was a pastor, and 
They used to always tell me before bed. They used to come up to me and my siblings and say, who does Jesus love? We used to shout, me. And they'd say it again, who does Jesus love? And we were like, me. And they go, who does Jesus love? And we're like, me. So I started that tradition with my, my three kids, and, and I went to, up to my daughter, and there was one day, it was like two weeks into me doing this with her, and I was like, who does Jesus love? She goes, me. And I go, who does Jesus love? And she goes, you. And I go, who does Jesus love? And she goes, everybody. And I was just like, I mean, she gets it, right? Like, I'm so focused on, like, my kids and my family and my community. She's just like, no, Joe. No, Daddy, you don't, you don't get it. Hmm. Favoritism leads us to treat people different. And favoritism is the opposite of the gospel. And sometimes we get distracted with this. We think that we're better or more loved or more special. But there are no boundaries with the gospel. It is for everybody Everyone is equally valued. Everybody's equally loved. Let's let that play out more than ever in our lives today. Amen? All right. I'll bring the band up and uh, let's continue worship through song. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this, uh, this text. Acts chapter 10 is, is really important. So Lord, as we, as we think through, Lord, this book, may we just recognize that Acts 2 and Acts 10 are the same. Lord, how you brought your chosen people, the Jewish people, into relationship with you. They receive forgiveness of sin through Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Lord. And you also brought in those who are not Jewish. Lord, you brought in the Gentiles. You brought in me. You brought in us who don't have that, that uh, heritage, Lord. And Lord, you also have given us salvation and the Holy Spirit. We are all one together in Christ. Lord, thank you for that. May there be anything in our life, Lord, that is causing barriers or dividing us, Lord, from one another. Whether that's stuff that we deal with with ourselves, whether that's other things we deal with with other people, may those be broken down. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that the cross bridges everything together. And so, Lord, we, uh, we trust in you. May we grow in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.